Hey friends, and welcome to Typology. I'm Anthony Skinner, producer of the show, and we want to congratulate Ian on the success of his new book, The Road Back to You, An Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery, has sold 100,000 copies in its first year. You can grab it at Amazon, iTunes, or wherever your local books are sold. If you're new to the Enneagram and want to learn more about it, head over to our podcast page at www.typologypodcast.com. That's www.typologypodcast.com and download a free chapter of Ian's book titled Finding Your Type. Also, while you're on the Typology website, visit the About page and take an introductory Enneagram assessment to start the journey toward identifying your Enneagram number. Now, as promised, I'd like to give a shout out to a few of our Patreon supporters. Abram Voorhees, Tabitha Jones, Carol Reed, Tracy Nash, Lois Barrett, Sally Matson, Kendall Neely, Grant Winter, Angela O'Brien, Doug Eichner, and Lisa Call. Your contributions are so greatly appreciated. Thank you. And now, here's the host of our show, Ian Cron. Hey, Typology friends, welcome to this week's episode of Typology, the show on which we examine the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. And today is a really, really special day because we have on with us someone who self-describes as a bonafide personality geek. Her name is Ann Bogle. Many of you know her. Uh, she's the creator of the blog Modern Mrs. Darcy. She's the voice of uh, the top-rated books and reading podcast. What should I read next? She and I have a lot in common. Both of us love literature, and both of us love plumbing the depths of the human person, trying to figure out who we are, how we might be in this world in a better way. So, Anne, welcome to Typology. Thank you for having me. I love this book of yours called Reading People, How Seeing the World Through the Lens of Personality Changes Everything. Thank you. I mean, I just, the title alone is worth the price of admission for a personality geek like myself. You know, like, <laughs> it is sort of like, oh, why didn't I think of that title? Um, but I love this, the subtitle too, How Seeing the World through the lens of personality changes everything. All right. So before we jump into your Enneagram type, or I just want to know, how does seeing, the lens, seeing life through the lens of personality change everything? Well, I think when you're able to understand what these different personality frameworks mean, and I talk about a lot in reading people, and the Enneagram is one of them, but when you understand how different people have different personalities, it lets you realize that that way that you approach the world is just one way, not mm. the way. And I mean, that transforms all your relationships and the way you view your work and your life and even your faith. Wow. Now, this actually leads into a great moment to, for you to tell us what your Enneagram type is. You can't tell by the title of the book. <laughs> I'm a nine, Ian. Okay. You're a, a nine. very nine, nine. Okay. Well, all right. So you're a mediator, sometimes called the peacemaker. Um, and the reason I say this was a perfect moment was because you 
were beginning to describe a worldview that was able to see everybody else's perspective uh, and appreciate everybody's difference in a way that only a nine could tell. You know, for it took me a long time to figure out I was actually a nine because every time I read through the type descriptions, I, I mean, they all sounded good. I could be that for a day. I can understand what it would be like to see the world from that perspective. And I finally realized that's a nine thing. Yeah. <laughs> took a long, long time. Yeah. Oh, I hear you. So seeing life through the lens of personality, changing everything. Can you just give me an example from your own life? Like a, give me something concrete where I can say, oh, yep, there it is. That's how it, that's how it changes everything. Oh, well, I'm sorry to say this is a story that is in reading people, but not everyone has heard it or in my own voice. But there was a time when one of my children and I were um, pushing each other's buttons hard. Uh, by nature, he wanted to plan ahead. He wanted to know on Tuesday what we were having for dinner Friday. He didn't like surprises. He did not want me to pick him up from school and say, let's go to the grocery when he thought he was going home. And I thought he needed to um, learn to roll with the punches and why be so uptight? And, you know, what's wrong with you? Why are you thinking like this? Maybe I need to call our family therapist for a check-in because this behavior is not normal. And about this time, I happened to be for my own, like, this was just leisure reading because I find it fun and fascinating. I was reading some book about personality and I was reading about a type that happened to be his, although I'm not sure I could have identified that at the time. And it said, this person needs order. This person likes structure. They crave it naturally. It's not abnormal. And this other personality type, if they don't appreciate that, can drive them bonkers. And I'm sure you know I was making him bonkers because I thought that my way of doing things like, oh, let's roll with the punches, you know, let's play it loose and just see what happens uh, was not his way, which mm. was fine as long as we both realized that. Wow. It got much better once we both realized that, especially me, because he's a kid. It's my job. Not not to expect him to be something he cannot be and shouldn't be. Right. So yeah. what accounts for your interest in personality? I mean, you know, I mean, people who have, you know, interest in different things, but you mm -hmm. really have an interest. I mean, you studied Myers-Briggs, you've studied Strength Finders, you've studied the disc. I mean, the, the book, Reading People, really is about looking at seven different personality frameworks or maybe uh, systems of personality and how we can tap into them to better understand ourselves and get along with other people. But that's a lot of commitment. What, mm -hmm. like, what was the moment for you when you're like, I'm, a, I'm totally down with this personality thing. It's like a passion. <laughs> you know, I think it goes back even further than that. I'm, I'm a huge book nerd as well. I love to read favorite hobby, favorite introverted coping mechanism, um, favorite leisure activity. Not that I don't do other things, but I read a lot. And I've just always loved the idea that books give you a window into someone else's world. Like through like a good novel, you can step into somebody else's life for 300 pages. I've always loved that. And so later in life, in my late teens, early 20s, when I discovered these personality frameworks, I realized it was a more structured, systematic way to do exactly the same thing. But it's the idea that you can experience the world through somebody else's eyes for a little bit that really hooked me. Plus, mm -hmm. I love behind the scenes anything. I'd love to know how things are made, uh, how things are put together, how other people think, you know, the strategy to make certain things happen. I love that. And learning about personality is all about how things happen because of what's going on behind the scenes. 
You know, it's so interesting. You should say that. I I recently uh, was was invited to a uh, come to a, uh, a a film class at a at a, at a local university, and uh, one of the things I'm going to be talking about there is about how the Enneagram can be used in casting for film mm-hmm. and television, which it is. I mean, people do use it for that mm-hmm. one, uh, but also in literature. Like uh, you'll find if you go online, you'll find. Uh, workshops or teaching about how knowing particular types, you know, could inform the way that a novelist creates characters, you know, now I, I personally would be a little more, I mean, I've written one novel. And so it's like, God, mm-hmm. I don't think I'd like to know that. I'd like to have it be more organic. Uh, but to your point, um, mm-hmm. it is so helpful to get inside of other people's worlds so that you can not only have compassion, but also really kind of figure out how to be in relationship with them because it's pretty much a disaster when you don't when you don't have that appreciation for difference. So here's a question. Why do you think there is this wild cultural fascination with personality right now? Like why are people seemingly in the grip of you know wanting to I mean there's tests everywhere, there's quizzes everywhere, books everywhere. Why what's the big deal? Wait, I ask this all the time, but rhetorically. Are you saying you actually want an answer? Yes, now I want an answer, yes. <laughs> I don't know, but it we're really capturing the zeitgeist here, right? Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's really interesting for me to notice, though, because why we do what we do has always been so fascinating to me. And most of my friends have been like, yeah, 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 whatever, for 20 years. And now, mm-hmm. when I say, why do we do what they do? They say, I know. So it's kind of fun, but kind of like, what? happened. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Um, There are a lot of people right now who are generally not happy with the direction our culture is heading. And I do find myself having a lot of conversations where the question comes up of how do we get here and what is my place in it? What is my place in the world? And I wonder if those questions are connected. Mm. I think that's a, that's a very powerful insight. Um, I think that the cultural waters are so disturbed um, they are uh, so frothy at the moment mm-hmm. then that, that people can't just be comfortable sitting, you know, with their, you know, in the sort of in the comfort zone of self. Uh, I think it is jarring people into more self-reflective spaces, mm-hmm. trying to figure out who am I? What's my place in the world? Um, you know, these are perennial questions, but they seem to be particularly poignant at this moment in time. So I think you're, I think you're right on about that. So you're a big Myers-Briggs fan, right? Mm, I mean, yeah, I think I have to say yes. Yes. Okay. All right. So hold on, let's go through. <laughs> right, so we got a couple of different personality sort of like test or frameworks, however we want to put them. We've got Myers-Briggs, right? We've got mm-hmm. the Enneagram, Strength mm-hmm. Finders. Is it Strength or Strengths Finders? Do you know what it is? It is strength finder. Okay, I find that very difficult to say. <laughs> strength finder. Okay, then there's the disc, right? Uh, I don't know if you're a Colby person or a Hogan. There's all these other, you know, sort of personality things. You cover seven of these in in your book. Um, all right, I'm gonna put you to the. I'm gonna put you right up against the wall. Here we go. I'm which, ready. Which is your favorite? Ooh, it depends. Um, oh, that's such a nine answer. 
Oh my gosh. Oh, well, it depends on where, what angle you're looking at it from or who's. All right, tell me what your depends means. But it's, it's probably, it is the right answer, probably, but I just want to know what. what what your thoughts are. Um, I love the Enneagram and I'm finding that helping me the most in my personal life and more so my professional life uh, over the course of the past couple of years, just because it's so all encompassing. But Myers-Briggs, which I will say my hesitation on, am I a fan, is that it's so, I think very few people who've ever taken a quiz on 16personalities.com have any idea what it means and how it works. So it's so easy to be abused, which is one of the reasons it's gotten a lot of flack from the uh, psychology community because mm-hmm. it's, it's so easy just to totally misunderstand what those letters capture and what it means. But professionally, uh, especially in the context of approaching my own work, managing myself and basically my penchant to start projects and not finish them, um, to, um, have all the ideas, but no way to organize, capture and carry them through, um, understanding Myers-Briggs, my own type and that of the people that I need to add to my team that I work with has been huge. So I'm so grateful that happens even, or that did happen, even though I don't, think about it consistently in the same way I ask myself, like my Enneagram reflection questions. And then some things like, uh, I talk about high sensitivity mm-hmm. in the book, uh, Elaine Aaron's theory, like it's a personality concept. It's really not, but I feel like understanding it changes the way you see yourself in the world the same way that understanding your Enneagram type or your Myers-Briggs type does. And that's why it's in the book. Um, it's almost like a light switch, like reading that one chapter, it's 20 pages or less. Um, once you know that this is a thing that exists in the world that affects possibly you, but definitely someone in your life, um, like you can't go back and you wouldn't want to. It's so, so useful. I don't think I ever would have understood Myers-Briggs without understanding Kiersey's temperaments first. I just couldn't quite get there mm-hmm. myself. So I'm so grateful for that. And then, I mean, I kick off the book with introversion, extroversion, which is, I mean, it affects I, it affects the way I think about myself and the way I approach my day every single day of my life. Mm. So is that nine enough for you? <laughs> yeah, but I want to talk about that because, you know, in the Enneagram world, we don't hit these Jungian uh, sort of uh, mm-hmm. categories of like introversion and extroversion. Mm-hmm. So, but I think they have bearing on the on Enneagram types. So from Jung's perspective or the Myers-Briggs, tell us what an introvert is and what an extrovert is. And then we'll talk about what it, what it might mean for the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. Um, the way I like to describe it is, well, first of all, it doesn't have to do with being socially awkward or shy or uh, liking to command a crowd. It just has to do with where you get your energy. So an introvert is someone who recharges, who gets their energy from being alone from being in the quiet. Mm -hmm. Um, When they think about the real world they want to retreat to at the end of the day, that world is in their heads. An extrovert gets their energy from being out in the physical world with other people. That's where they get their energy. I'm an introvert. Okay. And so, all right, so you're you're an introverted nine. My wife is an introvert and a nine. My mm-hmm. daughter, Maddie, I'd say is maybe a little bit more extroverted, but, but leaning toward the introverted side. Um, so I do have a special affection for nines who are, uh, who are introverts. Uh, it's my lucky day. Yeah. <laughs> well, wait a minute. You, you, Be gentle it, with me when I'm in the hot it, seat. Give it 15 minutes. You may, you may, you, you may want to rescind that, uh, that, that, that thought. Uh, I'm, I'm, 
I'm an ambivert, which I guess is a, a word that people are throwing around, which is someone who sits right on that line between introvert and extrovert. I'm, I think I'm an ambivert. I, I'm very happy and get charged up alone, and I'm, I'm very charged up by being with people as well. So okay. Now watch, watch me push the responsibility for this thought on somebody else, okay? okay. So according to a uh, psychologist studying like the big five, you're an ambivert. But according to Jung and Myers-Briggs, that's impossible. Oh, come on, bring you it. You have to be one or the other. Okay, now you have to explain to people about the big five. Got to tell them about ocean, because that is, for, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about here, in the personality world, at least in the current sort of literature, the one personality framework that everybody seems to be pointing to these days as the most accurate and studied and validated instrument is called the big five. And I would encourage you to look at it because it is... It does have some really cool stuff in it. Oh, yeah, it's um, really interesting. Yeah, totally. Now explain why, according to one, I can get away with that and the other one I can't. <laughs> okay, well, your Myers-Briggs type, you have those four letters that's something like INFP, ESTJ, right. ISTP. That is shorthand for the order in which you access your cognitive functions. Okay, I love this. Keep going. Okay. I am now nerding out. I'm now nerding out. Keep going. There we go. Eight cognitive functions. You access four on a regular basis with varying degrees of success. And INFJ and INTJ, they sound so close. They're just one letter apart, but they access those cognitive functions in entirely different order. It's the same, like you think, you'll hear people all the time say like, well, I'm an I slash ENFP. But you can't be because those cognitive functions are in a different order. And your Myers-Briggs type, by definition, and this is what people don't know from 16personalities.com, which I love, by the way, but it's a starting point, not like smack right. it on your forehead and wear it around as your identity for the rest of your life. Right. Your Myers-Briggs type is code for this is the order in which I use my cognitive functions. Oh, and also which cognitive functions they even are in the first place. Okay. So not everybody uses all of them. Okay. So I, all right. So I want to help people who maybe don't have much ex experience with this. Okay. So I'm an Enneagram four. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I do think there are some correlations between type and Myers-Briggs type, you know, Enneagram oh, type. And I nerd it's out on pretty... those charts. That okay. Say, like, oh, you do too? Okay, great. Myers oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So if I'm an, if I'm an Enneagram four, which Myers-Briggs type do you think, if you were going to guess I, I was? If you're a four, um, I think the odds of you being an NF are pretty good. Yes, definitely. So, and I don't know about the I and the E, that that could go either way. And mm -hmm. I would lean you towards P rather than J, but I don't feel nearly as confident about that yeah. as I do about the, the N and the F. So it would, well, as a younger man, I was, I was an ENFP off the chart. Mm -hmm. As an older man, mm -hmm. not, not an old man, as a, as a more mm -hmm. mature man, mm -hmm. uh, probably closer to INFP but isn't there an XNFP isn't there one where it's sort of like like what is the you know where I'm going like <laughs> well there's two ways so people do that when they can't decide or they're ah. debating the X oh. is a filler for I don't know this information yet or um, a lot of times in the literature when people are talking about the way like INFs act because they may have characteristics that are shared by INFP and INFJ you'll see the X there but it's not necessarily used to describe somebody's type unless they're indecisive. Right. Also, just for fun, Briggs and Myers would say your type doesn't change 
But as you have matured as a human being, your ability to access your tertiary and inferior functions, which are three and four in your stack that you have of four functions, as those have matured, your personality has become more well-rounded. It hasn't actually shifted. Okay, this is so good. All right, so I know people probably who've never done a Myers-Briggs right now (laughs) are laying down and pouring themselves a scotch and, and not knowing quite what to do. So... Uh, E and I, right? Introvert, extrovert, that's where people get their energy from, right? Mm-hmm. Um, N or S would be the second letter, meaning intuitive or sensor, correct? Yep. Okay. I'm going back to graduate school a long time to get this back, okay? So just give me, give <laughs> I me one. I want to consult my give, book. I haven't been deep in this for a year. So, okay. So just give me, just give people a sentence on that. What's the difference between an N and an S is? It's like how you take in information. Okay, so intuitively or sense in, in, a, in a sensory fashion, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Then, uh, let's see, uh, T or F. Well, now you're just showing off. Th- thinking it's or how you feeling. It's how you mm-hmm. make decisions based on thinking or feeling. And then the last one would be P or J, meaning perceiver, judge, or judging and perceiving, which is tells people what? It's often described as your preference for structure. Okay, so everyone got that now? So go to 16types.com, check it out. The Myers-Briggs, super, super helpful. But I think Anne and myself would say that at least for now, we have a penchant for or or a preference uh, for using the Enneagram. That could change. I mean, you know, different different seasons, part of life. But these are all really useful Mm -hmm. tools. Um, So I'm an ENFP. You're a what now? I'm an INFP. You're really, mm-hmm. do you know that like most sculptors and like painters like Agnes Martin out in the wilderness of New Mexico painting in the mm. nowhere, they're all INFPs. <sighs> yeah, I can't sculpt anything. You can't. Plato is involved, <laughs> but that's good to know. Okay. So, but here is a question for you. Mm-hmm. I would say that if I looked at statistics of uh, who listens to this podcast, mm-hmm. uh, that the majority of my listeners are one of two types. Mm-hmm. They're either ones or nines. Those are the two <laughs> biggest things. Now, why do you think nines would have, you know, of all the nine types, be so fixated on wanting to understand personality? Oh, that's so interesting. I hope I get to hear your theory next. Well, I think we're listening because we can't figure out our type, so we're very curious, but also because we just love to hear what it would be like. Mm. That's my theory. And then ones, I'm very curious about that. Maybe they just want to make sure they're doing it right. I they know everything that, they can. Yeah, I think it's also about wanting to self-improve. I think they have a wonderful oh. desire to figure out how can I do me better? Yeah, that totally makes sense. You know, how can I do who I am better than the way mm-hmm. I'm doing it right now? <laughs> um, I thought I was a one maybe for a long time. Did you really? Oh, yeah. Do you First have a one ring? daughter. Yeah. Oh. Strong work ethic. Right. A little bit of a people pleaser, perfectionist nature. Wow. But just a little bit of one, actually. So of all the, you know, uh, characteristics of a nine, which of the ones, which, which, which are a few that you just go like, oh, that is so me. That's the one where I just, oh my gosh, that was what nails me as a nine. Well, to approach it backwards, I thought I couldn't be for a long time because I do not resonate with sloth at mm, all. Right. But I really resonate with the, uh, the boundaries or lack thereof. And it wasn't until I understood that the sloth could actually be interpreted as not being lazy, like let's go take a nap and not get our work done, but being really lazy about personal boundaries that I went, oh, 
okay, like my doubts are cleared. That's really me. Um, definitely the empathy, the being able to see the world through other people's points of view, uh, going along with other people's agendas and not my own, being completely unable to answer the question, what do I want? Like all those are things that really speak to me in the nine type. Mm. So you have trouble saying what you want. Well, I didn't really realize it until I dug into the Enneagram, but yes, I really do. Or not just saying, in knowing. Mm -hmm. Have you historically kind of always felt a little unimportant or easy to overlook? (laughs) Yes. So my friend long ago was very upset about, um, I think she was having an existential crisis because she had small children and she also had important work, but she felt like she could not do it because her, her kids demanded all her time. And she felt like it was using all her think space, even though she was going to work every day. And I had just finished reading the screw tape letters for the first time. Somehow I escaped reading it as a younger person. And, um, this was a good friend of mine. And I told her like, Oh, I just remember reading this amazing thing in the screw tape letters where CS Lewis says that, um, one of the biggest lies of the enemy is that your time is your own. And we had this great long conversation and she's like, oh my gosh, that means a lot to me. And she cried and we hugged and then I left. And then in Bible study three months later, she said, I heard the most amazing thing a few months ago. It, and she tells this whole story about how we talked, but I was not in it anywhere. She said like, I just don't know where it came from. I think an angel must have whispered it in my ear because like the memory is so clear but I have no idea who might've said this to me. And I was really, I was really hurt. I'm like, I was, you cried, you got mascara on my shirt. And you don't even remember? (laughs) You got mascara on my shirt. I mean, you know, that's how we're all weepy. And so, and it took me a long time to realize, and that's not, that's not an isolated incident. And it took me a long time to realize that like having the spiritual gift of angel whispering is really a great thing, even though it doesn't get you a medal and a cape and a, I think it's maybe a nine kind of gift. All right, if so. If you want to call it gift, gift yeah. in heavy efforts. Well, I mean, can I just say something? There's a part of me that when you tell that story, my heart aches a little bit. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's it's <laughs> funny at one level, mm-hmm. but it's funny in part because we're defending against the sad part of it too, which is like, wait a minute, like, that was an insight that I brought to your life. And what you're saying is I'm not very memorable. It was really sad to me at the time. It wasn't funny, but I, I've been thinking a lot, reflecting a lot recently about like what I want to do, especially in my work in the next few years. So I've been looking back over what I've done and I've realized, and I don't know if this is a nine thing or not. I'm curious to hear your thoughts that some people write a book and say, ta-da, I have a brand new system that you've never seen before that will change the way that you, whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's not me. My role is to invite people to look at familiar issues that they already know, but just shift two steps to the left and to help them see that if you look at this familiar thing from a new angle, you can see it with fresh eyes like fresh, healthy eyes and that you're familiar with the issue, which sometimes like when we know the situations we're in or the facts about a certain situation or about a certain thing, whatever it is, big picture concept, um, it's almost like we're inoculated against new information. Like we can't see something afresh because it's so familiar. Like, you know what a carrot tastes like. You just can't 
yep. think about it any differently. I always need metaphors as a nine. Is that a thing? Oh, so, yeah. I mean, you know, you're, you're also into literature. I mean, you know. So much. So much. So my gift isn't to come in and say, this will rock your world. My gift is to say, let's look at this differently. So, yeah, I can laugh about it now. I think because I've come to terms with with what what I'm here to do. Wow, right. that's getting way too like esoteric. No, but I think it's really important. I'm glad. Let me just. I got to take a break here just to mention our 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 sponsor, and it's a good moment to do it since you've been talking about your your coach. But I want to circle back and talk about this because I actually you just articulated so many of the gifts of a of a well grounded nine. And back to you. Uh, so. One of the things that you just did is that that and it was actually kind of moving for me was listening to you. Even the, the you know I'm a therapist, so I'm really <laughs> digging in here. But even I was I, I was noticing how the even the the tone and the texture of your voice changed when you began to talk about how you when you began to realize that who you are connected with your bigger mission. Right. I didn't notice that. I did. <laughs> and that's why this call cost $300. <laughs> anyway, my, my point is, is that I could really feel that sense in you that, oh, you know, there, that some kind of beautiful thing happens inside of us when our type, and I hate that word, but our way of being in the world meets our mission. And, and it sounds like that's where you've arrived in your life. It's always a journey though, right? I yeah. mean, did sure. you just use the word arrived? Well, I mean, um, you have actually a line in the book that you, you uh, to, to answer that question, that to feather in, that you talk about being at peace with who you are in this book. Mm -hmm. And of course, who doesn't want that? Right. I, mean, I mean, I don't know anybody doesn't want peace with themselves, right? Mm -hmm. To have a sense of consonance, a sense of integration, and that, and that, uh, that despite all of my, you know, dings and dents, I'm fundamentally a person who's on the journey toward becoming a complete human being, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so I, I guess what I'm saying is that it sounds to me like you've arrived at a place where there's alignment between who you know yourself to be and the mission that you are pursuing. I feel that way most days. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. But that's an amazing <laughs> gift. I mean, what an amazing accomplishment to say who I am and what I do is pretty aligned. It's not perfect, but most mm -hmm. of the time it feels like we're singing in the same song. Yeah, I do. I do feel that way most days. And not to say that I don't have plenty of nineness. I'm still working through. But yeah, but I didn't get there without moments like I just told you. Shoot, now I feel like that that says like I've arrived. But but what I wanted to say was like just from having things go badly or trying things and failing really gave me like lots of fertile <sighs> ground for reflection. Mm. Okay, so I'm, I'm I'm going in all the way here. <laughs> Can you share with us through the lens mm -hmm. of personality, a low point in your life that was defining uh, or a moment where everything changed? Yeah, there was a time in my early 30s, where I went to counseling for the first time. I mean, the first time not counting I've been married for a long time. We got married in church. We had to go to premarital counseling, counseling. But the first time I went to counseling for myself was when I was uh, like 31, but I went over something that happened to me when I was 16. And 
it's because it just never occurred to me that like what I went through was important enough to go or that, um, you know, people have bigger problems. So why was I worried about something that happened such a long time ago? And I didn't even realize like what a hold it had on me. But then at age 31, and just, I want to say like in the light of the news and everything, what happened to me was not like headline worthy or catastrophic and it didn't involve anything like entirely, you know, it didn't look traumatic on the surface, but it was traumatic to me mm-hmm. um, emotionally and, and spiritually too. And um, it just never occurred to me that like, I don't know if it was that I was worth it because I don't feel like my self-worth was in the toilet or anything, but it just never occurred to me that it wasn't okay, that really like my boundaries had been stomped on in a way that was completely inappropriate. Mm. Um, But I started dreaming about this thing at night that had happened almost 15 years before. And I finally realized (laughs) you can go talk to somebody about that. Um, But the reason that this was a low point for me I mean, sometimes you need a low point to turn the corner, but it wasn't until I made the call to the counselor and I started describing, cause they say like, why are you calling? Why do you want to see somebody? I'm like, well, this is going to sound so, so stupid, but here's what happened. And then when I was talking to the counselor on the phone, she's like, oh, like we want you to see, um, I don't know, Janet, she's really great with boundary issues. And that was the first time I realized that I just had been totally like flunking that area of my life in so many ways. And I just had no idea in realizing that you've been doing something important, like to you as a human being really, really incompetently, um, feels really gross, just Mm. really, really bad. But even though putting a label on it felt really nasty, putting a label on it, like articulating what is wrong, like naming that thing is also a really powerful way forward. You know, again, I mean, I'm getting little pangs here thinking about my daughter and thinking about my wife and just thinking about nines in the world. When you say things like, I didn't know I was important enough. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I didn't know it was important enough or I was important enough. Um, or I, I didn't realize the hold that this thing had on my life or it never occurred to me I was worth it. You know, I'm just, these are things that I, I heard you say or something akin to those things. Mm-hmm. And those are such nine ways of seeing, uh, the way that nines see themselves and they see life. It's, it's almost as if, why should I make a big deal out of it? It's not, you know, it's like everything is muted or uh, it, it's self-negating uh, in a way. Uh, and I'm so glad that you picked up the phone and you went. <laughs> you know? Well, you know, like I didn't want to bother somebody else with my little problems. So, I mean, I realize that that's like a broken way of thinking, but that is a hundred percent what I was thinking. Right. And that's a hundred percent the way a nine thinks, you and know, how they, I catch myself thinking a lot. Totally. So. I mean, and, and the, what's so funny is that you would be telling others to do what you did for, you know, to do what you, but you would not think to do it for yourself. No, that was really the way out for me. Um, Ian, is this a nine thing? I am super hard on myself. Like well, I know this yeah. about me. Yeah. Well, we all have a negative you know, we all have an inner critic. For some people, it's it's louder, and uh, for others, it's you know quieter, or it crops up more in certain situations than in others. Now, as a nine, you could have a very strong one wing going on. Did you have a one parent? <laughs> Did you have a one parent? Yes. Ah, uh, okay. So that's another 
Mm-hmm. A very powerful force uh, in a person's life because it's an interject, you know, like uh, the way that my professor of mine in graduate school used to say it, you know, oh, you swallowed your mother whole. <laughs> you know, she's been, you know, she's been dead for 30 years, but you swallowed mm-hmm. her whole. She is alive and well. The same loop that was running in her mind, that self-critical loop is now running in a more ghosty fashion in, mm-hmm. in your own. So yeah, math nines can be, v- my wife is very hard on herself, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't know it. It's all going on behind the a very mm-hmm. calm exterior, but really hard, really hard, really, really hard. Yeah. Um, but what made me think of that was it wasn't until that therapist taught me to imagine somebody else going through the same situation that I was really able to have grace for myself, um, especially because I went to counseling about something that happened when I was a kid, basically. Mm. And I just was so upset. Like, I couldn't believe I didn't handle it better then. And she's like, do you know any 16 year old girls? I was like, yeah, I totally do. She's like, imagine this happening to them. And I was like, oh my, oh, oh, those poor babies. Like it just totally changed the way that I understood the situation. And that's something that's been really helpful for me. Like, I think like, oh, I don't want to bother somebody with my problems. But when I imagine what I tell a friend or what I tell my daughter or it really helps me imagine what it would be like to be in this situation, which sounds ridiculous. I'm in the situation. I know what it's like to be in the situation, but it's not until I imagine somebody else being the situation that I can summon compassion for myself. Okay. Say that again. Just what you just said at the end. It's not until I can. I'm the one sitting in my chair, having the feelings, but even so it can be really hard for me to summon compassion for myself in whatever situation I'm in. Cause my note to self is like, it's not that big a deal. Like buck up and get it done. Um, But if I imagine somebody else sitting in my same position, how would I imagine them to feel? I imagine them to feel like like worthy of reaching out or worthy of needing help. Or I don't mean worthy like in a self-worth way, but uh, worthy like, oh, yeah, that problem needs help. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's only by imagining what it would be like for somebody else to experience what I'm actively experiencing that I can summon compassion and appropriate action for myself, right? which seems weirdly circular. And yet, yep. there it is. And yet that is the part of the journey for nines, right? Is learning to take uh, action on their own behalf to invest in themselves. I mean, sloth, that deadly sin or that passion, sloth is really about the failure to invest in their own self-development in their own spiritual uh, maturity, their own individuation, becoming their own person, finding their own voice, claiming their ground. This is what nines, you know, have to do uh, mm-hmm. and assert themselves into the world and go complete the errand upon which they were sent here <laughs> to perform, you know, and not, you know, stay home and like, you know, be a couch potato. That's the kind of lofty, like, spiritual talk I can, you know, get behind. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So I just think the thing is, is that you're describing uh, a moment of right action in your life where it's like, no, I, I deserve to be here in this seat doing this work. And this matters. Uh, what I went through matters. And uh, getting past it matters. And I'm worth the investment. Mm-hmm. That's just... You know, doing the work of what what the the virtue for the that the nine wants to work toward is is diligence. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, now let's go get this baby done, and, and <laughs> but, you know, let's get it done um, mm-hmm. in a really really cool way. It, and it's wonderful when you see nines really digging in on that. All right, let's talk about literature for a second. Let's do it. Uh, you're a big book person. All right. So uh, tell me tell me some of your favorite. Uh, are you a, are you a 
uh, a novel person, nonfiction person? Like, what's what's your wheelhouse, like reading wise? Because that's your big thing. Modern Miss Darcy. Tell me what your. I love fiction. Right. I do read a not as much as I used to, but I still read a fair number of like uh, businessy personal growth kind of books, and um, I love a good memoir. But I probably read seventy percent fiction. Okay, so I want to go through some types. I was thinking about this in my ride <laughs> over today about about fiction, fictional characters and type. Um, so let's walk through a couple, um, and let's try and keep it in. You know, not not everybody's a fiction reader, so we'd have to probably keep it to. Oh, let's we can actually even throw movies in just for the heck of it, because you know there's stories, you know, of, of a kind. But uh, okay, ones perfectionists. Can you think of someone in literature who's a one? Well, I just have to say how hard this is for me because I can be reading, trying to type people. I'll be like, well, they did this. That's like a four, but they did this. That's like, and I can really see how they could be this. And if I wanted to make an argument for them being a six, I think I could. Mm-hmm. So I do, I do find this really tricky. It is tricky, but I think again, it's, it's actually, you know, a little bit of a card game, you know, a parlor. Thing we're doing here. <laughs> I mean, it's just having fun, you know, and, yeah, yeah. and, and, but I have to say too, though, when you read like Dostoevsky, you do get a sense, maybe more than any other writer I know, that he actually is giving you a walking tour of the inside of another person's mind. <laughs> you actually are seeing their the way they think, their motivations, everything, not just their traits. You are inside them and understanding why they're doing what they're doing, uh, even if they don't. You know, it's like you, he's a crazy. So here's one, though, I was thinking, like, here's an unhealthy one. Javert from Les Miserables. The, the policeman mm-hmm. who just couldn't let go. He just, you know what I mean? It was like it just the black and white thinking that, the, again, an unhealthy one. So I'm not talking mm-hmm. about a healthy, mm-hmm. a healthy perfectionist or, or, impro- <laughs> or improver, as I like to call them. I was um, going to ask you who a healthy one would be and then realize then you wouldn't have a novel. Atticus so. Finch. A one. Yeah, To Kill a Mockingbird, Atticus Finch. Definitely. I mean, I, I, he's for sure a healthy okay, one. Okay, I can see that. Healthy one. That. Oh, I love that oh. character. Yeah, an unhealthy one would be Javert. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, uh, twos. The one I came up for twos was, actually, I didn't have much time to think about, was Sam Gamgee from The Lord of the Rings, or, you know, The Hobbit. I can see that. Frodo's best friend. Uh-huh. I, you know, I arguably sometimes say that I think in, in lots of ways he's the main character of the book, but that's another conversation um, in the last book. I mean, he's such a remarkable uh, character. Threes, the that's, performers. That's that's a great theory. I need to read more about that theory. Well, it's just my kooky one that I sort of think about early in the morning over coffee. Those kinds of weird ideas come to me. But I actually think he's a much more, in lots of ways, more interesting character than Frodo is. Um, but anyhow, the 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 third the threes. I came up with Jay Gatsby. Yeah. And I came up with Scarlett O'Hara. Oh, I like that. Yep from from uh, Gone with the Wind. Fours. Golly, now literature's <laughs> loaded up with fours, right? We've uh, so I came up with some that are kind of a, not, you know, for some people who aren't readers, but I may not relate to like Matt, Madame Bovary would probably be a four, mm-hmm. or uh, maybe Marianne Dashwood from Sense and Sensibility, maybe. Oh, for sure. Right, and and then I think, and some people would disagree. They'd say is an eight, but I think Holden Caulfield from Catcher in the Rye has that fourish kind of I hate phonies quality. Yeah, um, I can see that. Okay, I want to say Anne Shirley of Green Gables mm, is a four. Okay, there you go. Uh, how about five? You got one for fives? 
I want to play this game looking at my bookshelves. Okay, you okay? So here, I'll just now give you I one. can think of the last books I've read. A five. I know it's hard to put people on the spot on this one. I want to. So I love the book Crossing to Safety by oh, Wallace Wall Stegner. Stegner. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Wallace yeah. Stegner. Oh, I think I think Larry maybe a five. Okay, listen, everybody, if you have not read Wallace Stegner's Crossing to Safety or Angle of Repose, but I actually like Crossing to Safety more it's than Angle favorite. of Repose. I'm so glad you love it. There's that one paragraph in there. I can't remember where it is, but but so it's this, for those who don't know, it's, it's, it's a story of two couples and their lifelong friendship. And there's, there's a, a moment, it may be Larry, and he's just reflecting at the end of this chapter where he says, I'm not sure if we ever told them how much we loved them or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. if, and this is the line that kills me. Mm -hmm. And if we fail to, I tell them now. And if we failed to, I tell them now. Oh my gosh, that's heartbreaking. It's so beautifully said. Okay, I've read that book like eight times and it wasn't until the eighth reading this fall that I think I really understood what the title meant. Uh, and I think that line really backs up my theory. Really? So All thank right. you for that. Okay. I love that. It's a beautiful, beautiful. I also think just a, a, another one should be Sherlock Holmes. Oh, would yeah. Be a five. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah, be a five. Um, oh, by the way, did you see um, the movie Lady Bird yet? No, but I want to. Oh, my gosh. It's so good. Yeah. And, and for those of you who have seen it, I think the mother in Lady Bird, just going back a little bit, is a one. Uh, not a very self-aware one, but I think that's that's a pretty good. One. And I think the daughter in that movie is a four, is a four, pretty strong four. But again, all like you know, thinking aloud, thinking aloud. Yeah. Uh, seven, Peter Pan in literature, right? Peter Pan, and half the heroines in Sophie Kinsella books. Okay, <laughs> nines. By the way, who do you think would be a good nine? A nine character. I had to think about this one, but I have I have a couple. What do you got? Dorothy of the Wizard of Oz. Holden Caulfield, Dostoevsky, the Wizard of Oz. These are all things that I really haven't truly encountered since high school. Oh, good. I'm glad to be bringing up old <laughs> Maybe ghosts. Maybe I have amends to make. <laughs> oh, I'm glad to be bringing up old ghosts. But we have Wallace Stegner in common, and that's a very, very important commonality to have indeed. So, uh, But what, what about the eights? Oh, about the eights, Yeah. Well, I find them much easier to spot in real life than in literature, because as I'm reading, I'll often think like, oh, that sounds kind of five-ish or that's very one. Right. Not that I can think of any of them now, because that would be too easy. Mm. But um, you can't see them posture the way you can see an eight. Right. Summon their mental resources. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to a problem. I'm not sure. I, I, you know, I just sort of was on the way over, just sort of chalking things down and, and off the top of my head. And uh, so I'm just going to ask our listeners, if you got an eight, I think I skipped sixes too. If you got an eight or a six, that would be fun for me to know about or for us to know about in literature that you think would be good for us to know. You just email in, go to the site, go to the typologypodcast.com site and tell us who you think in literature or film, sixes or eights, who who might be represented out there. That would be good. I think I can make an argument for Meg Murray being a nine in A Wrinkle in Time. Ooh. Could probably make an argument for her to be like a three, also, but but I like I like the idea of her being a nine. I think that's possible. She's gosh, Madeline Longle. Oh, can I tell you a sweet story about? Oh, about please. Her? So our daughter Madeline, who is a nine, is mm-hmm. named after Madeline Longle. Mm-hmm. We named it, and when she was about, oh, I don't know, little kid, seven or eight years old, she wrote a letter to Madeline Longle, who lives in Manhattan, but only thirty miles yeah. away from us. Yeah. 
and um, didn't expect to ever hear anything back. And then a long time after, like, I mean, more than a year later, mm-hmm. she got a little note from Madeline Langle that we have just thanking her for writing her sweet little and it was like one of yeah. those so moving and you know but my daughter Maggie got it up in her house yeah. somewhere and so i just golly just mentioning her oh. name makes me just think of so many different things in the most wonderful of ways that's amazing yeah it is so everybody we we finish up our 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 show every week with kind of um strategies for different types self-development and um so I'm going to give a couple for nines, and please jump in, agree, disagree, or you know, add to the uh, add to the list if you like. But let me give it this to you for those of you who are nines. Here's some things you might begin to work on. The first one is to really believe, and you really pointed to this, Anne, beautifully that mm-hmm. that you really are worth it. I mean, you really are worth investing in. So, for example, going to therapy taking a day to do something quote unquote selfish for yourself. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that, you know, because you do matter. Like, you know, you, and, and I would encourage people in nines in particular, you ought to have what some people call them. Don't, don't hear this as new agey, but totems, you know, they're kind of reminders. It could be a mm-hmm. bracelet. It could be a poster, whatever it is that communicates messages to you that keep you awake. Cause I think nines fall asleep to what's going on in their lives a lot. So it's like, have some way to remind yourself I matter. I need to <laughs> I need to do things for myself, invest in myself and not feel like it's a poor investment, right? Mm-hmm. Um I would say make sure you have a to finish list, not just a to-do list. <laughs> You're laughing. Is yep. that a good one? Oh, it's funny cuz it's true. Yep, have a to finish list. That's a big one. Um how do you by the way deal with priorities? Cuz now that's a big issue. Nines have trouble setting, you know, figuring out priorities. Tell them how you do it. I think myself in circles about priorities. I'm actively, I mean, I'm figuring out what I want to do with my work for the next five years and thinking about what long-term priorities are. And my problem, Ian, is I want to do it all. And it's completely conceivable that I could do any individual thing. Have you seen La La Land? Oh yeah. I love that movie. So, you know, the last half hour where Emma Stone has the, like, what might have been Mm-hmm. scene with her life playing out with Ryan Gosling instead mm-hmm. of uh, Guy Patterson. So I, I feel like when I look at the possibilities on my plate, I can see like 42 of those movies instead of just one. And they all look really good to me. But at a certain yes. point, y- you actually have to decide or nothing gets done. And I have such a hard time deciding. Oh, uh, you, oh you are such a nine. I feel like <laughs> I'm just listening to like the most nine thing ever. I mean, yes, you, you nine struggle to figure out what's the most important thing to do in what order should they be done they all look equally valid and important that's another big feature for nines uh and so there can be paralysis or i just don't know what to do or i think i'm gonna go to the couch and eat a lot and 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 watch a whole weekend worth of seinfeld to get away from all the desires that are coming up that i that's just that's not really what do. i'll do but i might delete all like the audio files taking up extra space on my hard drive mm, for hours and hours and hours you'll just sit there <laughs> mindlessly hitting delete right yeah so can I ask you a question? What are you doing to fix that right now? Like, what are you doing to make those decisions? Oh, this sounds so bad if you're not a nine, but I'm trying to figure out what I want. Because I was talking to a friend recently, someone who understands what I do professionally as well. And I was telling her what the options were. And she said, you know, 
you've told me why all of those options are good for everybody else, but I never heard you say what's good for you. And mm. I was like, oh, like I had no idea. And it yeah. never occurred to me to ask myself what I want. So really, I am in the thick of this right now. This is my my uh, early 2018 mission is okay. to figure out. Yeah, that's awesome. But the question is, so who's helping you do it? I got a coach to figure out my priorities. Boom. Isn't that sad? No, it's not sad. How? So why would you say that's sad? That's brilliant. <laughs> <I'm nine. laughs> that is brilliant. Are you kidding me? No, of course you, you listen, you're, you're, you're recognizing, look, you have a diffuse attention. It's not linear. You, your, your attention is diffuse, right? So, yes. right. So you're just recognizing why waste time trying to figure this out on my own. I need someone who can look in on my life from the outside and help me put it into the right order and then I'll execute on it. But you're, you'd be wasting your time if you're playing to your weak suit. Well, that's true. But at the same time, when I mean, if you're not a nine, the idea of not knowing what you want might sound a little ridiculous. Mm. I think twos feel that way. Mm -hmm. uh, particularly not knowing what they feel uh, would be a little bit closer to, oh, to yeah. with, with twos, but also what they want, you know, out of touch with desire, you know, and because and, they're mm -hmm. always so focused on what other people want and meeting those mm -hmm. wants and needs, right? It's mm -hmm. just, it's a very, of course, as you know, nines and twos misidentify all the time. There's mm -hmm. always this kind of, sort of a moment for people where they're like, I'm not sure if I'm a nine or a two. Um, I hear that an awful lot from people. <laughs> I think I another thing is, is that, and we never got to talking about this, but it's mm -hmm. just that I think nines have to do the work of getting in touch with their anger mm -hmm. to recognizing mm -hmm. it and then also expressing it uh, outwardly, boldly, uh, directly, um, and knowing when it's there and not being asleep to it you know sometimes it's knowing it from the the body is telling them you know they're all tensed up or they're or if they're spacing out or getting lost in routine and spinning in habit because they don't want to feel the anger they're just kind of checking out mm -hmm. nines have to know the red flag that uh-oh what's going on inside <laughs> i am numbing i am numbing right. to what am i angry about what 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 conflictive or afflictive emotion am I avoiding right now that's busting my peace? That's a real thing because otherwise, if I'm out of touch with it, it's very easy for the surface me to go from zero to red hot in no time flat. Mm. Cause you mm -hmm. can like suppress, 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 suppress until you just, it's like holding a beach ball underwater and at a certain point you just can't. And that's really ugly. So yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, Oof. It could be pretty tough when that happens. I, I have I have been around it. I have been there when Mount Etna <laughs> has blown its top. So I, I hear you loud and clear. Hey, and thank you so much for for being on Typology. What a rich conversation! And I'm so delighted to uh, have read this book. Reading people. Uh, the how seeing the world through the lens of personality changes everything. I want to really just strongly commend this title to others to to read uh in the days to come uh of course uh your your website modern mrs darcy is that is not is that what it is of course mrs darcy that is what it is that is what it is modern mrs darcy.com or all of you literature lovers out there that would be a good place to go and, and tell me who else, who else tends to visit your site and and, and your work so a long time ago, it was pointed out to me that we don't really have a niche, we have a demographic, and it's 95% uh, thoughtful, reflective, book-loving women 
who like to think and talk about like the big important issues in life. Mm. You really like to go deep. And yeah. also sometimes like read something about great genes. <laughs> that is incredibly funny. Well, and again, I'm would you come back on? Would you come on oh, and join I, us again? I'll talk about personality geekery with you anytime. Oh man. Well, I can't wait. Again, thanks and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thank you, Ian. You bet. Well, folks, before we close, I want to tell you about Talkspace. Talkspace is the online therapy company that lets you choose from over 1,500 therapists. You can get matched with your perfect therapist who can put you on the path to a happier life and to becoming your best and truest self. For a special offer for our listeners, visit Talkspace.com forward slash typology. That's Talkspace, T-A-L-K-S-P-A-C-E forward slash typology, T-Y-P-O-L-O-G-Y. And in closing, my friends, remember the words of the great Oscar Wilde. Be yourself. Everybody else already taken.